you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. Chris Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. Thechrisvossshow.com. Hey, Oh my gosh, it happened again. We're doing another podcast. Who knew? Almost a thousand podcasts and we did another one. No one saw it coming, not even me. I was like, what? There's another one? We have to do another one after 12 years? Anyway, guys, welcome to the podcast. Uh, we certainly appreciate uh, you coming by. Everyone, every one of you and you, not that guy in the back, though, in the backseat of your car there. We don't want that guy at the show, but everybody else is welcome. We're going to be talking about Prince today. You may have heard of him. He was a guy, I think he made an album or two or song or something. Something in the 90s, I think, went on. And so we're going to be talking about him. And, of course, I'm joking around. Everybody knows who Prince is. And if you don't, then you're going to find out a lot more. But uh, you should probably check yourself if you don't know who Prince is. Anyway, guys, we're going to be talking about a wonderful author who's written a beautiful book about a beautiful man, Prince. And But in the meantime, to see the video version of this, you want to go to YouTube.com, Fortress Chris Voss, hit the bell notification button. Subscribe to the show on iTunes. You can go to iTunes, and for a very limited time, now this is going to be ending fairly soon, for an unlimited time, you can subscribe to the podcast. You want to get in before that unlimited time ends and subscribe, and it's free. It's going to be free for an unlimited time, but you want to get it before the unlimited time ends. Also, go to all of our shows on, let's see, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all those places the kids are playing at these days. And there's one other place I almost forgot goodreads.com goodreads.com you can see everything we're reading and reviewing over there and we actually just opened up it's a goodreads giveaway for our books so if you want a free book i think we're giving away like 10 autographed books over there you can go over there and check that out as well so we're excited to announce my new book is coming out it's called beacons of leadership inspiring lessons of success in business and innovation it's going to be coming out on october 5th 2021 and i'm really excited for you to get a chance to read this book it's filled with a multitude of my insightful stories, lessons, my life, and experiences in leadership and character. I give you some of the secrets from my CEO entrepreneurial toolbox that I use to scale my business success, innovate, and build a multitude of companies. I've been a CEO for, uh, what is it, like uh, 33, 35 years now. We talk about leadership, the importance of leadership, how to become a great leader, and how anyone can become a great leader as well. So you can pre-order the book right now wherever fine books are sold, but the best thing to do on getting a pre-order deal is to go to beaconsofleadership.com. That's beaconsofleadership.com. On there, you can find several packages you can take advantage of in ordering the book. And for the same price of what you can get it from someplace else like Amazon, you can get all sorts of extra goodies that we've taken and given away. Uh, different collectors, limited edition, custom-made numbered book plates that are going to be autographed by me. There's all sorts of other goodies that you can get when you buy the book from beaconsofleadership.com. So be sure to go there, check it out, or order the book wherever fine books are sold and speaking of books we of course have on deck the most important thing we're going to be talking about today prince a portrait of the artist 
coming out September 28th, 2021. So it's just coming right hot off the press by Paul Sexton. And Paul has written an amazing book about Prince. And it's it's a beautiful, large picture book about Prince as well. Lots of different cool things, memorabilia. This is going to be a collector's item if you're a Prince fan. Uh, so anyway, welcome to the show, Paul. How are you? Hey, Chris, I'm really good. What an introduction. I, I feel like uh, I'm exhausted. <laughs> there you go. And I flipped to your author uh, page on, on Amazon, and they need to fill that in for you. So give us a little bit of bio and background on you. Okay. Short version. I'm a music journalist all my life, basically, all my working life. And the only real connection I can think of that uh, draws me together with Prince would be the fact that he signed his record deal, his first record deal with Warner's, the same year that I wrote my first piece for a music paper. That'll have to do, I think, in terms of the connections. 1977. So I started out uh, writing for uh, a British pop magazine called Record Mirror when I was still at school. And here I am, many decades later, still doing the same thing. No, it's, it's been great to have this kind of uh, lifetime writing about music. And it's been fun writing about Prince in particular, I must say. Oh, yeah. So what a subject. So give us your plugs, your dot com, so people can look you up on the interwebs and get to know you better. Sure. Okay. Uh, Twitter would be a good thing, which is at P Sexton three, the numeral three. The Instagram is at Paul Sexton writes as in writing. So yeah, that'd be it. There's no website. Somebody needs to set me up with a website. Yeah, you got to have one of those author websites. That's always good. But so we'll look forward to that. So what motivated you want to write this book? Is this your first book you've ever written? Yeah, it is. And a lot of people have been asking me why that is. And uh, there's no real answer to it, except that it right place, right time. And the fact that this guy is just, it feels like he's been, in, as with the, all of us, he's been in my life for, forever. And I had the opportunity to meet or to talk to a bunch of people who really knew him well. So the idea of the book was let's not make this a celebrity fan fest, but actually to have it really structured by people that you may not have heard of, although if you're a Prince fan, you will, who were, you know, around him at different key moments in his life and had some particular stories to tell. So that it, it really is not intended to be a sort of full, long, exhaustive biography of Prince. It's scenes from his life, as told by the people that were, were close to him. And I should say also that it's an unusual one because the book actually started out on the... I made it I, I, alongside all of my writing. I do a lot of broadcast work in the UK and internationally, and that includes a lot of shows, documentaries in particular for the BBC, for BBC. BBC Radio 2 mm-hmm. over here. And I made a, sh- a documentary which aired on the first anniversary of Prince's death called Prince and Me, which was a two-hour show. So I got to do a, a bit more of a deep dive uh, into his story. And that's where I some of these interviews originate from there. That include people that I had met before in some cases. And I think I hope won the trust of, which is quite a big thing in a case of something like Prince, because everyone's wary of talking to people like me quite understandably uh i think if you think about it you know that you totally you totally get that because especially when it's people that are not necessarily as hugely known in their own i'm sure they all think uh, that they just must get hounded a lot because of their association to prince mm-hmm. entirely you you have to work hard in some cases to to nudge the door open and to win their trust and uh, as i say in some cases i had managed to do that before with other things that i'd written or broadcast that really was the starting point somebody from the publishing company Wellbeck, heard the documentary um you never know who's listening do you it went from there and we obviously ex- expanded it augmented it and made it into the sort of the, the book that you see now 
And it's an extraordinary, beautiful book. I'm looking at the PDF right now on my screen that they sent me uh, a while ago, actually. It's beautiful. It's got these beautiful pictures. It's got, of course, text. So it's not like a book that's just 100% text or some pictures that are thrown in. These are beautiful, extraordinary spreads that are put across the, the book. You, let's see, a combination of rarely seen items, Stunning photographs and engaging narrative that includes interviews and quotes from people close to him, pictures of custom-built guitars and other instruments, unique articles of clothing, stage accessories, handwritten notes, personally labeled recordings, interviews and quotes, of course, from so many people. It's a beautiful, it's, a, it's almost a piece of artwork when it really comes down to it. So if you're a Prince fan, this is like... You, you have to have. Thank you for the kind words. I can deflect all of the praise about the the visuals to to other people because I was very lucky to work with with a really good picture editor. And the thing about somebody like Prince is that whoever is in that role really needs to know what they're doing and to know where to go to find this sort of uh, imagery. And then, of course, to license it is not a whole other. And it's interesting because, as I think is the case with a lot of major artists now, some of the images that you'll see, whether it's the, the cost, stage costumes or guitars that he played or various other artifacts, in some cases, now those things are in they reside in auction houses and they go in and out of, of private ownership it feels like every week i'm reading about something like an eric clapton guitar from 30 years ago that's suddenly on the blocks that was part of it and then there are photographs from private collections and newspapers both you know national and uh, and international and indeed local from his early days when he was still doing interviews of course in those days mm -hmm. um and everything from that to instruments that he played on stage or his Bible from when he became a, a Jehovah's Witness. Yeah, it's we're not calling it a picture book as such, but it's the idea, of course, is that the narrative supports the photography and the other way around, I hope. Yeah, pictures start from, it looks like everything begins around his preteen era. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah there's even the school yearbook picture. Yeah, there's a picture. There's yeah. a picture here, I think, in a basketball jersey and yeah. probably on a yeah. PE team. That's right. And you can, I think you can recognize that it's him. And you can, even yeah. then, there is that, you can almost caption one or two of those photos, go on, try me, because he's, <laughs> he feels like he's ready for anything. And it, it, it when you, when you think about a, a picture of Prince from his later years, little suggestion of a, of a playful smile about his features, I think, and a kind of, glint in his eye, devilment in there somewhere. He was an extraordinary musician, extraordinary gifted and talented musician. The, uh, just what he used to do, I think he had, he, the studios were in Minneapolis right? and he would just, just do amazing stuff there forever. In early on, you have pictures of him. I, he was just, I think what I'm trying to say is a, a picture, a, a pseudo picture book with the pictures, at least that you put in here, really speak be, to the, to him as an artist because not only was he an incredible artist, but he was he was a he was a fashion genius or fashion god, yeah. if you will. And I, I think any book about Prince would be uh, remiss if it didn't you know include pictures of how amazing he was. And I'm seeing a picture here with, with Blackbeat that he's holding mm -hmm. up, and he's dressed like he looks a little bit like Eddie Murphy in Raw. Yes. And so he has a consummate style very early on. I met. Yeah, yeah, and it, it changed repeatedly, didn't it? It's um... I think on a scale, almost a little Bowie-esque kind of um, scale, mm -hmm. you know, chameleon has become a bit of a cliche word, but it's true in the case of Prince. Um, different hairstyle every time you saw him, amazing outfits in any setting. That's in really is in the showbiz tradition, isn't it? I mean, he, you cannot imagine this guy ever e turning up, even the studio, even on his own in a pair of jeans. So you'd figure that he's going to look pretty, pretty sharp, whatever he's doing. And that is very much in the style of his 
early heroes, Little Richard or James Brown. I know this from other stories that I've heard in interviews I've done that uh, those guys, they never, they were never in um, plain clothes. <laughs> you mm -hmm. know? They were just dressed to the nines, really, for their public at all, all times. And I think Prince was similar. He, he, I imagine he recognized how important that was, or maybe he wanted to stand out an artist. And yeah. you have a picture here of uh, Prince's first reel-to-reel -reel demo tape recorded mm. in 1977 when he's 18 years old. This is yeah. really cool. It's got the liner notes and stuff in it. That's right. Yeah, it's amazing how and great that some of those things have, have survived from his early days. And I've uh, got to remember, what I've done in the book, is, as well as all of my interviews, we, we've got some examples of interviews that he did in his early days with you know, local newspapers in Minneapolis, for example. And he is, you can tell in the, by the tone of some of those that he is pretty impatient. He thinks that he should be making it much more quickly. Than, he can't understand why. He knows he's good. That's the thing. And things are not happening quickly enough. And yet when we look back, you, we think of somebody who signed their first deal with a major label at the age of 19, which was with, with Warner Brothers, of course. Wow. Um, and a revolutionary deal, pretty much, no pun intended. A, a contract in which he was basically given full creative from the very beginning. And still as a teenager, he is producing his own records and on a major label in wow. those days. Or even wow. now, actually, pretty outrageous. I was growing up, I don't like, I think I was a kid and I was working on construction sites. So we would play the radio all day. I was, my father was a, had a subcontracting stucco business. And so I would help him during the summers and we would blast the radio across the construction site. And uh, that was our entertainment. And uh, I remember Little Red Corvette and all the great hits that were coming out at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, I think on one of his first or second albums or something. And it was like fire and just yeah. come out. His talent was just so amazing. And like you say, just at a very young age. What are some other things that we want to touch on or you want to tease out about the book to get them to pick it up? Well, if, we, if we just go on a theme for a second about his, how precocious he was, it goes back even much further than we've just been discussing there. Because uh, this is a guy who wrote his first song when he was seven. Wow. Um, and even then, music is beginning to be his life. He, was the, he, he came from a, a broken home. His parents were splitting up around that time. He is moved, really, from pillar to post around different locations in Minneapolis. Um, and music is almost like his only constant. So you can see how it became that important that quickly. Plus, his father was an entertainer as well, a stage performer in his own. So that, that definitely had a big uh, influence on him. But it's not until uh, if I, uh, after the uh, lovely forward in the book by Susan Rogers, who was his engineer in uh, all the classic stuff in the 80s. And after that, uh, the, the first chapter is really about the meeting between Prince and uh, a guy called Andre Simone, who really became one of his earliest friends because they met on their first day at a new school together at the age of 12 i think and you know chatted in the playground immediately feeling rather ostracized from everybody else but bonding with each other over music that was basically what they discussed from almost day one and within a short time of that uh, prince who as i say was ha had issues in his in his upbringing was sharing actually rooming with andre in his his parents house which gave him kind of the first signs of any stability in his life, really. And the two of them were together musically for quite some time after that in, in the early versions of the bands together before it became obvious that Prince really was going to be going alone. It looks like in the book you talk about his quote-unquote family, people that he had around him, people that he played with and stuff like mm. that. Talk, talk to us a little bit about that. He's an interesting contrast because this is somebody who had 
unbelievably exacting standards, both of himself and those around him. Certainly didn't suffer fools, got frustrated with people who were not up to his mark. And that was pretty much, it could have been almost anybody because he was, you know, multi-instrumentalist and developing genius tendencies even then, I think. Having said that, he he was and remained quite a loyal person who, in the very early days, before that first record deal, he had to be persuaded to go solo. There were people that were noticing him around town, and he, for a while, was much more of a sort of band ethic. He wanted to, to, to do it that way. But I think because he, even then, as a teenager, he had this magnetic personality and, and charisma. It was always going to end up being him on his own. Having Then you'd notice the next thing is that he, he then and, and again throughout his life, he gives great opportunities to, to people to be in his band. In one or two cases, almost literally plucking people off the street to be in the band and play live all over the, the, the place. And that's an endearing thing. I think he wanted to give people the opportunity and he, sometimes they weren't up to it. But um, it's a nice idea. I always think that's a facet of any musician if, is if they retain that sort of band ethic, which you know I think a lot of people do. Yeah, it's really extraordinary. What did you learn that you didn't know, or maybe a lot of people don't know, that when you did your research for the one of the recurring things about Prince and Susan Rogers talks about it a lot is his great sense of humor, which is not necessarily something that's always to the fore when you think about him, because you, you say his name, you think of showmanship mystique, glamour, all those things. But Susan in particular and others point out that he had a really quite a boyish sense of fun. She at one point said to me that he had, sometimes he could have the sense of humour of a 13 or 14 year old boy. She was smart enough to realise that quite a few of us are like that, actually. <laughs> it's not, not exactly unique. Um, I'm still 13. Yeah, yeah, I think we all are in our minds. Ask anybody who knows me. Yeah, yeah. So, so th that's something that comes through in a few particular stories about uh, what it was like to hang out with this guy. And it, it's somewhat hidden behind the work ethic because there are many other stories in there about how, how demanding he would be, how he would call Susan and other musicians in the middle of the night, show up at Paisley Park straight away. Yeah. Um, but then there are other times where they could be maybe in a rehe you know, rehearsal or something, or they'd actually be on top of the situation. And then, again, at Paisley Park, they would all go out and into the courtyard and play basketball or something. He was one of the boys to his degree, but I don't think there was ever much doubt about who was in charge. And he did a lot of private shows, I think, just for the city and stuff. And people could come by yeah. Paisley Park, right, and do stuff? Yes, he did. Yeah. And, of course, all of the, the they are legendary is a very overused word, but I think you have to use it about the, his after-show parties as well, because they were as as amazing as the shows themselves and what a I mean, what an amazing showman because the other part before you even get to that is on a show day he'd be doing a very long rehearsal a sound check as well at the venue and his sound checks were like other people's gigs so they could go on a very long time then you've got the gig itself which is probably going to be the better part of three hours and then you've got the after show which again could be another two to three hours long so this this is somebody who was just he could not stop himself he just mm. you know, it, it, it was like Something got in it, in him on a show day, and he did love the attention. There's no doubt about that. But it's also just down to the, the level of musicianship. And again, it's back to that thing of being in a band, being the leader of a gang. I think that definitely appealed to him. Most definitely. I mean, it, it was it was a great tragedy when he passed. Tom Petty also passed, I believe, of fentanyl mm. uh, overdose. I think, and we lost so many great people. Jimi Hendrix. Sadly, we lost Stevie Ray Vaughan to a helicopter accident of all the yeah. stupid things to to go on. But still, so many of these great people, like. Why can't we lose like, I don't know. I don't know who we should lose, but <laughs> can we trade? Maybe, I don't know. What are, what are some other things that we want to touch on and tease out about the book? Well, you know, if, just for a moment to dwell on that, his sad 
departure. It, it's especially sad because it's not a traditional rock and roll death. It's not, he, he's, he's not like in the 27 club or anything like that. It's really, I think in a lot of ways that it, it was a, a sort of byproduct, unfortunate byproduct of his workmanship because he worked so hard. He's on stage all those hours every day. He's in high heels. He was a short guy. He put enormous strain on it, on his body that way. And, and that did sadly result in, in the, in the, the use of, of painkillers. That's a, a sad thing, but I hope that gradually, and what will be with five years down the line now already, five years since he died. And Susan and uh, Susanna Melbourne and, and others said to me, I think they actually feel that their role really is to keep his memory alive, not like he's somebody we're going to forget, but really to just make sure that the focus is on his music and not, not on how he died or anything else. I learned a lot after he passed away. I didn't know about the Paisley Park stuff. I grew up in the 80s, 90s being uh, a heavy metal fan. I'm a, I'm a huge Metallica and Rush fan. Mm. And I, I pushed Prince a little bit off the side. Great music and stuff. But even now, I think it's better celebrated through the test of time. I think I used to bully uh, new wave people that liked his music in the, I might've been guilty of that in high school. Not really. I was a thin little kid anyway, but I would, there was the metal crowd. There was the new wave crowd. You, yeah. The, the, the twain did not meet. But he did, because I always think that he was somebody that brought together the genres more than most. He married rock and, and R&B, didn't he? Yeah. Very clever. So I wonder how you as a rock fan would have thought about that amazing guitar. I mean, to, uh, when, when I was called. younger, really heavy and then now i'm into everything like i can listen to right. classic rock uh mm. still can't quite do country christian rock or uh what's the other thing i really i i don't get rap at all i just don't i okay. just i don't get yeah. it but yeah. that's me i grew up in it's a generational thing yeah. yeah metallica just released their black album again been listening to that non-stop at the gym yeah <laughs> I mean, with Prince, in the early days, I think there's an interview probably on YouTube still where somebody asks him what he wants to achieve with his music. And he, he's, he's extremely focused and it's not just about him. He says his real goal is to bring, it may sound corny, but he wanted to bring people together through music and to actually, and, and to appeal to people no matter what their creed or sexuality or anything else was. And I think he did it. You can yeah. quite fairly say that he really did achieve that. He really was huge. I'm, I'm telling stories of listening to him on the, on the construction site. I would have been 11 years old at the time. Mm -hmm. And I'm 53 now. What what a story career. But yeah, I, I read about the Paisley Park stuff and the, yeah. the, the shows he used to do for the city and just how he was such a giving charity person. I was like, holy crap. Yeah, man, that's why amazing. Yeah, and never made any fuss about that. He's mm -hmm. not somebody that is, is not the first thing you think of when you think about him. But that's almost the best way, isn't it? The best kind of of charity charitable endeavor i think you know, yeah they should make like a giant statue of him in that city or something if they haven't already he retained a, his connection to minneapolis mm -hmm. a lot of people that would have been a love hate thing i'm sure in his early i know and in his early days he couldn't wait to get out of there you know? <laughs> that's, uh, that's just, most people are like that but he as much as he did live in other places he lived in los angeles and he and he'd spent a lot of time in london for example and, and elsewhere he retained those links with Minneapolis the way through. And you can tell that by the fact that the people that I interviewed for the book did something similar. They may have moved away now, but they they have this connection with, with the area. And it was an amazing music city uh, yeah. at that time. And he could play with anybody. In fact, here's a picture, I think, from the Super Bowl, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, halftime show that he did. I remember watching mm -hmm. that. He could play with anybody. He was so versed as a musical genius. I mean, yeah, I think he's, you look at the people that played with him that were influenced by him or that he, it's a mutual thing, of course, but it's everyone, Miles Davis. Mm -hmm. um, Joni Mitchell got up on stage with him one time and he, and she's, she loved him. Yeah. You know? And that's not an obvious 
you wouldn't necessarily jump to that uh, connection. But and he actually recorded a, a version of the case of you for a Joni tribute album. He he was a he's just such a music fan. That's yeah. the thing that comes across it and music of all. I really enjoyed the book. the The pictures are extraordinary beautiful just so amazing too oh this is amy winehouse is in here yeah, sorry to interrupt yeah she played at the last of the very famous after show par parties that he did at the uh, the end of his incredible 20 21 night run at the o2 arena in london she wow. was there on the last show along with a friend of mine who's another amazing soul artist beverly knight who's in the book uh, mm -hmm. a lot as well Another extraordinary loss to unfortunately yeah. overdose, yeah. but uh, what what an incredible book! What a celebration of the man's life, his talent, and I think anybody who's a Prince uh, fan or wants to know Prince more should definitely pick up this book. It, to me, it's a collector's item. It, it looks like a collector's item. It looks <laughs> it's beautiful and extraordinary. Well, thank you very much. I think yeah. the idea is to make it something that could be. Um, that Prince fans who already know a lot will get something out of, but it's, it also has that sort of en entry level kind of thing for anybody who wants to, is uh, new on the block about Prince and wants to find out more. He produced over 35 albums, mm. 10 that went platinum five decades with 100 million records sold worldwide. Yep. That's, that's extraordinary. How, where does, where is he on the list? I know Billy Joel's high up on the list. Yeah, the Beatles probably. Where is yeah, he on the list? He, I couldn't tell you a number, but he would be pretty high up there because, you know, partly because of his time. We're obviously, yeah. we're talking about an era when people were still selling unbelievable numbers, physical quantities of, yeah. uh, of records. And that's changed now. And it changed in, in his even in his last 10 or 15 years as a recording artist that uh, we, we consume music differently now. But, yeah, it would be quite high on that chart, I think. And, uh, yes, it's the scorecard of albums while he was alive was 39, by the way. Wow. I'm just reading off of Amazon, yeah. so just so you know. Um, 39. Wow. I, I can't, I don't have time to produce my first album. I don't have, I'm not musical, but I'm just doing that joke. So anything more you want to plug, Paul, before we go out on the book? I think only to say that, that there are some nice stories in there from people who, they've all been interviewed many times about Prince, but I, I hope there's some things that people haven't heard too many times before and uh, little insights into the way he was. And some of those, as I say, are as part of the narrative. I uh, used some early interviews that he did, or there's just some silly little uh, vignettes about what he was like as a kid and, and then the trouble they got into. And the impression you get, as I say, is somebody who was a workaholic for sure, but also fun loving and liked to party as well. Yeah, hopefully. In fact, I think years ago I met, oh, who's the gal who was on Baywatch that was actually one of his girls for a while in his little crew of Oh, not, of uh, ladies. not Pamela. Uh, not Pamela, the other Carmen Electra. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I got a chance to meet Carmen Electra. Yeah. And I guess she was one of, in one of his, if I remember correctly, she was in his mm -hmm. crew of yes. girls. And wonderful gal, just beautiful in person. Oh my God. I was just like, wow. Sometimes you meet people that are beautiful on TV and ads and mm -hmm. you meet them in person. You're like, there's a lot of makeup that goes on there, but she was extraordinarily yeah. nice. Yeah, uh, and they, they gravitated towards him. I think that's, mm -hmm. that's if I had a, a, was having a conversation with a guy here last week who actually met Prince at the, uh, as a member of a, a British band who had a, had a Grammy nomination. In fact, you may remember a band called Cutting Crew who were, had a really big hit yeah. in the UK called I Just Died in Your Arms. And they were nominated as best. Oh, I still hear that on the radio to these yeah, days. Of course. Yeah, and um, Colin Farley is the guy's name. And he, 
he told me the story uh, about meeting Prince at the uh, wow. party, you know, because they were nominated, they got that chance. And he's very matter of fact about it. But he said Prince was on one side, Quincy Jones was on the other. And but Colin was there with his girlfriend and Prince was far more interested in the girlfriend than his girlfriend. I would never take my girlfriend around Prince. That would never happen. <laughs> but uh, maybe I'll start dressing him like like uh, Prince. Then I can maybe maybe need to start wearing the, I don't know if you saw it, the chain mail cap. There's, there's the yeah. cap with the chain mail down the yeah. front. You've got the pictures too of him just wearing like a little sort of bikini thong mm-hmm. bottoms at yeah. his early shows. I thought that was funny. I'm like, there you go. You got you got some magic mic. You got some music. You're rocking and rolling. That's it. There's some, <laughs> there's some, tips, some tips for all of us there. There you go. There you go. I'll start wearing that in public. I think my parole agent says I can't do that anymore. Anyway, it's wonderful to have you on the show, Paul, and sharing Thanks, this data Chris. with us. Thank you so much. And everyone should go buy the book. Thanks for coming on the show. Great to see you. Thanks. Thank you. Give us your plugs where people can find you on the interwebs one more time, if you would. Okay, sure. Yeah, so Twitter, at uh, PSexton3, mm-hmm. and uh, Instagram, at Paul Sexton Writes. And the book, just to mention, is out uh, it's pre- for pre-order now. It comes out in the States on the 28th of September, so Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all the usual places. There you go, guys. Order it up wherever fine books are sold. Prince. A Portrait of the Artist. I got to tell you, it's a beautiful book that really celebrates this life. You definitely want to get it, especially if you're a fan. Order that up. You can also go to goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Voss, uh, youtube.com, Fortress Chris Voss, all the groups we have on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Go follow uh, the show over there. We certainly appreciate it as well. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Be good to each other, and we'll see you guys next time. So we're excited to announce my new book is coming out. It's called Beacons of Leadership, Inspiring Lessons of Success in Business and Innovation. It's going to be coming out on October 5th, 2021. And I'm really excited for you to get a chance to read this book. It's filled with a multitude of my insightful stories, lessons, my life, and experiences in leadership and character. I give you some of the secrets from my CEO entrepreneur toolbox that I use to scale my business success, innovate, and build a multitude of companies. I've been a CEO for, uh, what is it, like uh, 33, 35 years now. We talk about leadership, the importance of leadership, how to become a great leader, and how anyone can become a great leader as well. So you can pre-order the book right now wherever fine books are sold, but the best thing to do on getting a pre-order deal is to go to beaconsofleadership.com. That's beaconsofleadership.com. On there, you can find several packages you can take advantage of in ordering the book. And for the same price of what you can get it from someplace else like Amazon, you can get all sorts of extra goodies that we've taken and given away. Uh, different collectors, limited edition, custom made numbered book plates that are going to be autographed by me. There's all sorts of other goodies that you can get when you buy the book from beaconsofleadership.com. So be sure to go there, check it out, or order the book wherever fine books are sold.